Well, what's happening, y'all? My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Soul City Church, and uh, so glad that you guys are with us here tonight. We've got a packed house here, so it's good that you found us here, that you're here tonight, uh, and to sing together, to join, to center our hearts around Jesus, which is what, really, that's the whole goal of this church, right? The, the whole point of this church is to uh, lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're kind of wondering what we're about, if you want the tagline, if you just want to kind of get like, you know, our little Yelp review in one sentence, that's it. Like we are about leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ because we believe, honestly, that is what we are created for. Every one of us has room to be transformed. Every one of us has room to grow. Whether you have been in this thing for a long time as a Christian or whether you wouldn't even use that word to describe yourself right now, but you have words to describe people who do call themselves that. Like, wherever you're at on the spiritual journey, we believe that God has actually created each one of us to grow and to take steps closer to and more in relationship, a transforming relationship with him. So that's what we're going to spend the next couple of weeks doing as we prepare ourselves for Easter. Now, listen, Easter is a really, really big deal. I was talking with someone about our church, and he's a guy that is an artist here in the neighborhood. He's going to help do some uh, artwork on the side of our building here. And uh, I was kind of telling him, like, look, we want to have this done in the next week or so, because, you know, Easter's come. And he's like, oh, that's yeah, probably a big deal for you guys, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, it's like a Super Bowl for church, you know? It's like... <laughs> trying to think like, you know, how can I help this guy get that, you know? And Easter's a really big deal, right? It's a really, really, really big deal. It's where we celebrate the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And we are going to do a lot of talking and teaching and studying and growing together towards that because we believe Easter absolutely matters and it changes everything. It literally has changed everything. It's changed everything in my life, throughout history, in your life, whether you may realize it or not. It has had an effect on your life. But before we kind of get to Easter, before we get to the hope of Easter, before we get to the death and resurrection of Easter, before we get to the joy and celebration of Easter, we have to take a few steps back to understand sort of the the how and the why and the who that got us to Easter. Because I think for a lot of people, especially if you grew up around Chicago, you grew up kind of doing the, the church thing maybe once or twice a year, you know, you'd hit it at Christmas, you'd hit it at Easter, and that's, you kind of got your high points, but you have to understand there's a whole other story going on that leads from Christmas to Easter. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks diving into the life of Jesus and why it matters and how it literally changes everything. It changes everything. And to understand the story of a Savior sent to the world by God, you have to understand the world before he got here. So if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to ask you just to open it up to anywhere in the Old Testament right now. So if you're not a Bible person, this is easy. Just anywhere on the left side, like you'll be safe. And just kind of put your finger anywhere in the Old Testament right now. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and do that. Open it up, put it anywhere in the Old Testament right now. Because for us to understand the significance of a savior who has come, we have to understand the world that he came to. So with your finger there, or maybe you can like in your mind's eye imagine it, right? Or just pull out your iPhone app and go there, whatever you need to do. No matter what page you put your finger on in the Old Testament, basically every page from Genesis 3 on, you find a world in waiting. A world in waiting. A world that because of sin and our own destructive and unhealthy and unwise choices had us separated from God. Now, God is not gone. He has not left us. It is distant, though, between us and God. This is the story of the Old Testament. This is the story. It's the story of God and us. God is present 
but distance because sin has separated us from the relationship God intended us for. You can put your finger anywhere on any page in the Old Testament and you will find a people waiting. They are waiting for a promise that God made all the way back in Genesis. When sin first entered the world, God made a promise that it would not win. And sin doesn't get the last say in our life. And God promised that there will be one who comes to defeat sin, to defeat death once and for all. So from the very beginning of this distance of the Old Testament, there is a promise. And along the way, there are millions of people who had thousands of years of waiting and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies all pointing to a promised Messiah, Savior. There are people who spent their entire lifetime waiting, hoping one day, maybe, the Savior will come. Maybe one day, God's promises will be fulfilled. Maybe one day. Put your finger on any page in the Old Testament, and you will find a world in waiting. Now, we don't do well with waiting, do we? This is the story of thousands of years in the Old Testament. We can't wait a couple minutes for our order at a restaurant. We don't like it. And I saw it firsthand for our son, Elijah. He's five years old. And he is, um, patience is not a virtue for him. It's like a foreign concept. Like he hasn't gotten to that word yet, right? So he doesn't understand it. I don't know where he gets it from. It must be his mother. So we, um, so we, a friend of ours who's a part of our church who will remain nameless, we'll call him Lyle, uh, he did a very kind thing for our son. He was on a business trip, and uh, he picked up some Legos for my son. My son's a Lego maniac. He loves Legos. If he could, he'd build a bed out of Legos and sleep in it every night. He loves them, right? And so what happened, though, was this friend let, let our son know, hey, I want to let you know I got you some special. I got you some Legos. And so my son's like, all right, let's do it. Or that. Let's do it. Like, let's do this. Let's make the transaction. What do I need to do? High five you, say thanks. Like, let's do this thing. And he's like, well, I don't have him with me right now. I'm going to get him out and I'll bring him to you. And I'm like, Elijah's like, but now is the, like, now is when I need them. I need Legos now. And so what ended up happening, just through circumstances and chain of events, he knew about the Legos. The Legos were out there. He just hadn't received them yet. And this went on for about three weeks. And this is, again, this is all just through circumstance. Not a guy's not a bad guy. He did a good thing. He bought Legos for my son. The mistake he made was telling my son. <laughs> That's the mistake. And so, honestly, every day at like dinner or some, Elijah would ask Jeannie, right? He'd go, what, what, um, where are Legos at? And I'm like, dude, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Lyle is going to deliver them soon, I promise you. He's like, oh, okay. Which ones do you think they are? Like, I don't know. And so this is true. This is so true of my son. He would get his little, like, Lego catalogs out. He's like, Dad, Dad, I think it's these. And it's, of course, it's like the $1,000 Lego set. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's not those. He's like, well, he, he, he came back from a trip, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, so he had to put it in a suitcase? This is my son, hand to God. I go, yeah. He goes, so suitcases are about this big. And he's trying, to, like, he's trying to figure out the mother low of Legos that he should expect, right? He can't wait. Every day, every week, I said, finally, 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 he got him. He's so stoked. He's so excited. Immediately built him right away. This little dude just could not wait three weeks for a promise of Legos. And we are no different. I am no different. I hate to wait. 
We all do, right? I hate waiting on the phone. If someone puts me on hold, I already have an attitude about it. I'm already mad about it. I'm like, oh, you're going to put me on hold? Oh, you're going to play that music? Like, I get very frustrated about it, right? I hate red lights. I hate red lights. I hate stopping and having to wait, right? I have four tickets to prove how much I hate red lights, and Chicago will not let you run a red light in this town. I can't get a break, right? I hate waiting. Like, if I, something takes too long when I order, I hate waiting in the mail for something to come. When someone told, all of us are that way. We all hate to wait. And that's the story of the world that Jesus comes into. It's a story that we're very familiar with because the reality is for every one of us, every single one of us in this room is waiting for something and there's not a single one of us that likes it. Every single one of us is waiting for something right now in our life and there's not a single one of us that likes it. You're waiting, you know, maybe it could be something as simple as you're, you're waiting for a paycheck to come. Are you waiting for a job that actually gives you paychecks at some point? You're waiting. You moved here for a lot of promises, and it hasn't happened yet. And you're waiting for it to all start to click in the city. You're waiting to make friends in this city. It's hard to do. 2.9 million people. It's one of the hardest things to do in the city is to make good friends. You're waiting. Some of us are waiting for a relationship, right? You're waiting. You're hoping, maybe. That's maybe why you came here to church tonight. You know, you got to play the odds. Do what you got to do. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you. I get it. Some of us are in a relationship. We're waiting to be married. Some of us are married. We're waiting for a child, or at least waiting to get pregnant. We're waiting. Every one of us is waiting for the next step, the next big break in our career. We're waiting for purpose in our life. We're waiting for something bigger than us. We're waiting for it to all make sense. Every single one of us in this room is waiting. And so therefore, every single one of us can relate to the story of a people and a world in waiting. Millions of people, thousands of years, hundreds of prophecies, all pointing to the promise of a Savior, of a Messiah. Now imagine that. And if you have your Bibles open, turn to uh, the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament right before the book of Matthew. And I want you to go right after Malachi 4, which is where that book ends. And there should be like a page in the middle that like says the New Testament. Like somewhere like kind of right dividing line there. And you can put your finger there and just hold it there. Because even after all these years of waiting, even in the Bible itself, from the end of the book of Malachi to the beginning of the book of Matthew, there's 400 years of guess what? Waiting (laughs) and silence where you hear nothing from God. And so you have to begin to wonder if people began to wonder if God was actually going to keep his promise. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, and specifically in a place that no one cared about, the Savior of the world is born. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is why it's so significant. And it's good that we have these sort of uh, bookends to the story and the life of Jesus at Christmas. We celebrate his birth. And I love the way that John puts it. So jump ahead a a couple chapters, a couple books actually, to John chapter 1. Because I love the way out of all this silence and this waiting and this anticipation, the way that John describes the birth of Jesus is so beautiful. Listen to what he says. John says in John chapter 1 verse 14, he said that the word became flesh. We'll put it up on the screen too if you don't have it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It means God moved into the neighborhood. He came to be with us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one 
and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that beautiful? That we have waited and waited and waited, and finally, 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 the word, this word of God that spoke the world into existence, the testimony of God, the personification, literally in human form, of God, became flesh and made his dwelling. That means he made home with us. That God literally entered himself into our story and became one of us. The glory of God became one of us, dwelt among us. You know, it's one thing for your dad to buy you a mitt. It's another for him to actually play ball with you. And God shows up and says, I am going to be with you, among you. I am going to be one of you. Now imagine that after a world in waiting, longing, hoping for the promises and prophecies of God to be true, and he comes. And the way that God declares himself is so amazing. The way that he brings his son, Jesus, into the world is so interesting. And Jesus is given many names, and he's called many things that all harken back to prophecies, but one of the most interesting ones is found in Matthew chapter 1. So now jump back to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to have you do some work tonight. Jump back to Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse 22 and look at what Jesus is actually called. John says, the word of God made flesh. He came, the word of God was now physically among us. Matthew now harkens back to a prophecy about Jesus and one of the names that's given to Jesus in Matthew 1, 22 says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet that the virgin will conceive, that's Mary, and give birth to a son, that's Jesus, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, now this is your part, God with us. Literally his name, Emmanuel, means God with us. God did not want you to miss the point. I am coming to dwell among you, to live among you, to be with you. I am coming to be with you. It's in my name, Emmanuel, God with us. I am coming to be with you so that you can have a relationship with me. And this is where the story starts. After a world in waiting, the Savior is born. And he comes and he's made flesh. You could literally, you have to try and understand, after waiting and waiting and waiting, generations upon generation, he's finally here. And he's like around the corner. He's literally like, where? He's Bethlehem? Where? What? He's here now? And you can actually like see him. And you, can, you have to think at some point someone had to poke him at some point. Like, is this for real? Like, this is really happening. Like, all the promises and prophecies are fulfilled in this person right here in front of me. I can look at him. I can talk to him. I am literally talking to God right now. I am literally laughing with God right now. He's very funny. Like, he has a great sense of humor. Like, I am with God right now. I can eat with God. We can have a meal. We can have a conversation. I can share life. God actually sweats just like I do. This is amazing. I can have time with and be present with God. Fully available to us. So much so, in fact, so available to us that he even gave himself for us. Ultimately, gave his life away for us. The one and only life, God came in the form of Jesus Christ. And he was so present that he actually gave his life for us so that we could be with God in relationship with God. This is a fascinating, fascinating truth. 
all this waiting, here's the Messiah. And the interesting thing is, is when he comes, and, and, and what's awesome that I love about God is he's born, and like there's some really interesting stuff that happens when he's born, right? And there's angels and shepherds and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and Sienna is, is kneeling by the manger, and there's all kinds of stuff that happens. And then like we know a little bit about him when he's two, and he has to go away, and he actually flees for his life. He has to go away to Egypt, and so, which is a very fascinating story to think about, the fact that Egypt is the place that God first rescued his people from, and this is actually the place that Jesus has to go to to actually escape the death, the impending death that was coming upon him. Have you ever stopped to think about that? That's fascinating. So Jesus grows up in Egypt for a while. Then we know a little bit about him when he's 12, and then nothing. We have to wait some more. You know what he's busy doing? Being one of us. Son of God is just literally in obscurity working in his dad's carpentry shop. And we have to wait. We wait. We wait for the fullness of God to be revealed. We wait. Amazing thing is this. About 80% of the life of Jesus we have no record of. We have no record of. We have about 20% to go off of. And I love that. Because there's about 80% of my life that's not that interesting. (laughs) On a good day. (laughs) Right? It's usually more like 95. He was so much one of us that he lived an ordinary even obscure life for many years. But then, when he's 30, he begins his public ministry. Now, if you're the savior of the world, and you've come to literally save the world, it would be very easy for you to just figure that you gotta go it alone. You gotta do it, like fly solo on this mission. Right? It, that would make sense. In fact, many messiahs and many other religions, many religious leaders, that's exactly what they do. They are a religious leader set apart from that's the whole point. In many other religions, it's that they are actually set apart from the rest of us. That's what makes them holy. But Jesus comes not only to do life with us, he actually calls people to do life with him. And he invites and enlists ordinary, everyday people like you and me to actually be part of the redemptive saving of the world. The very people he's coming to save, he involves in that work. That's how committed Emmanuel is to you and I. That much with us, that he would invite and involve ordinary people like you and me, even people more boring than you and me, in the adventure of doing life with Jesus, of following Jesus. And he's a very interesting way of doing it. And it's really easy to read some of these texts. We're going to look at three different accounts right now of what Jesus does to enlist and invite other people into the redemptive work of saving the world. I want you to look right now. You can jump ahead. We'll stay in Matthew for just a little bit. I want you to jump up to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. So committed to God is this idea of being with us that he is now inviting people to be with him, to go with him, to be with him, to literally, literally be a part of changing the world with him. And this is who he goes to. So this is Matthew 4, 18. And Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. So he's walking along the shore. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. And he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. It's probably a beautiful, wonderful day. And he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. I just love how the Bible's written. So, like, that's why they were casting the net into the lake, because they're fishermen. Like, that, that makes sense. Thank you so much, Matthew, for making that obvious to us. I didn't know if that's they were, that, oh, it's because they're fishermen that they're fishing. Now, look what Jesus says. Look what Jesus says to Peter and to Andrew. Very simply, he says, come, follow me. 
Now, we, we don't know if he had any sort of previous contact or relationship with them. We don't know if he'd sort of been watching them. He certainly could not have been going off of their credentials. These were fishermen, for they were fishermen. They were very simple, work-a-day people. And we see Jesus literally walk up in the middle of their job. They are literally on the clock. And Jesus walks up to these two brothers and says, come, follow me. You follow me. At this point, Jesus was a rabbi, so he was a religious teacher, a religious leader, so he had been, people had been coming to listen to what he was saying. But as far as we know, there's not a ton of miracles that are on the books. There's not a ton of recorded preaching at this point that we know. So here's this rabbi that comes to the fisherman and says, come and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Obviously a metaphor here. I will send you out. I will literally change and transform your purpose, your life. And the Bible says, at once, what does it say? At once, they left their nets and followed him. There is something about Jesus that when he says, come, 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 follow me. No, you, no, actually you, yeah, come follow me. That these ordinary fishermen, these ordinary guys, drop their nets immediately and begin to follow him. They they literally, from everything we can tell, they just walk off the job. They just look at their nets and they're like, well, this is cooler than that. I'm going to win here with Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. They literally left in the middle. We don't, did their boat just kind of float out into the middle of the lake? Like, they just left to follow Jesus. They left literally everything to follow him. In an instant, there is just something about Jesus. When he says, follow me, that people respond. Matthew goes on to give another account. If you jump ahead a little bit to Matthew chapter 9. I love this. I love this about the Bible. The Bible's very cool, right? I think you know that. And so Matthew is telling the story of a guy named Matthew who Jesus invites to follow him, but really that Matthew is the same Matthew who's telling the story. So he is writing the historical account of his conversion to following Jesus, which is really cool, but he keeps it all third person. He wants to keep it very official on the books. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew which is the guy actually writing. He could have just said, he saw me, but he said the guy named Matthew, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, if fishermen were about here on the social totem pole, tax collectors were down here. All right, and we don't have time to go into how significant it is that this is one of the lowest positions that you can hold in society, in specifically that culture and that world, but it's about as low as you can get. And again, we don't know if Jesus had previous contact, conversation, interaction with Matthew. All we know is that he walks up to Matthew the same as he just did with Andrew, with Peter. And he says, look, come, follow me. And Matthew got up and what? Followed him. Matthew got up and followed him. Again, looked at his life, looked at what he's doing. I'm making a lot of money. This is great. Everyone hates me. Uh, Okay, I'll go. And he leaves everything. He leaves everything. There's several accounts. There's several accounts. You see, that's how Jesus called his followers to him. Come, follow me. Come, be with me. Follow me. And I will give you purpose. And I will show you life as it's meant to be. You don't have to wait anymore. I am here and I am with you and I'm inviting you to come with me. Now, I know like that sounds very cool and very powerful and you look at these fishermen, you look at this tax collector, you go, that's amazing. But honestly, like the thing you have to ask yourself is would you actually really do that? 
Like if Jesus showed up at your job, for some of you, that's all, honestly, I could show up at your job tomorrow. You'd be like, where are we going? Let's go. We're out of here. You're, like, you're ready to go, right? What do you got? What do you got? Let's do it, all right? But if he were to really show up, if he were to really show up in your life, in your world, and say, I want you to follow me. I want you to do life with me. What do you think your response would be? Honestly, honestly. For these guys that we see here, they left everything. They left everything. Nets, tax collector booths, they left that life for the life with Jesus. And if he were to come to you today, tonight, say, follow me, what would your response really be? Because if you're being really honest, like I am, it's like, I would like to do that, and I'd like to think that I would do that, but like if I really leave everything and like fully follow Jesus, he's going to mess stuff up. Like he's going to mess with my money somehow. I know it. He's going to do it somehow. Something's going to change. And like I'm going to have to like give more, you know, and like be more generous. And we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Like, I don't know. He's going to mess with my relationships. I'm going to have to look at things. I can't keep sort of doing this sort of friendship this way and this dating thing all this way. Like he's going to mess that up. He's going to mess up like these little secret habits and, and hidden addictions that I have that I fully got under control and no one really knows about and needs to know about. I know if I fully follow him, I have to leave those nets behind. Oh, he's going to mess things up. I don't know. And for many of us, that invitation, follow me, scares us to death. The invitation of Jesus to say, come follow me for life to the fullest scares us to death, if we're being honest, if we're being honest. And in fact, even in Jesus' day, this is now God after a world in waiting, God physically, personally, right in front of us, God in the flesh, fully God, fully human, invited people to follow him. And you know what? Some folks couldn't do it. It was too much. That's too much. I'd have to let up too much control to do that. In fact, you can jump ahead a little bit further to Matthew 19. This is one of those stories. It's the story of a rich young ruler. It's recorded in several different gospel accounts. This is a guy who literally had it all together. He, had, he literally had it right. He was young. He was successful. Was, I know that because it calls him the rich young ruler. So my hunch is like he was like a young Trump with good hair. Like he had, like he had it figured out, right? And he was a very religious person. He was a very moral, upstanding, religious person. And so he comes to Jesus and says, look, what do I have to do to have life? Like, I've done everything. I've obeyed all the commands. This is Jesus' response to him in Matthew 19, 21. Jesus answered his request. What do I have to do to follow you? Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, which is basically the case the guy was making to Jesus, he says, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, see, there it is. He's messing things up, isn't he? This is what we're afraid Jesus is going to do. It says it right here. He says to the guy, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, this rich young ruler, this guy who'd gotten everything right in life, when he heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And what the Bible is implying, there's letting us know, is that wealth actually had him. So we've talked about the last couple of weeks, right? It's not that he had great wealth. That great wealth had him. And he could not let it go to follow Jesus. He could not let go of that net. Listen, this, so like that struggle you feel internally, you're not the first person. People literally looked eye to eye with the Savior of the world and said, it's too much. I can't do it. 
that means that, that means that all this is up for grabs, that everything could be different. And I just don't know if I'm willing to do that. We all face that internally. And even people who consider themselves super spiritual Christian people, we all face that struggle. Am I really willing to do life with Jesus, to follow him? See, the amazing thing is about this rich young ruler that we see here in Matthew 19, the amazing thing is he already believed. Already believed. He already believed. And for a lot of us, that's a huge first step, right? That is a very big step to say that you actually believe in God. And I know, like, we hang out. I know a lot of you, like, some of you are still in that place of trying to figure out, do I really believe in God? That is a very, very important, big step. You know what James tells us, the book of James tells us, Jesus' brother tells us? Even the demons believe in Jesus, and they shudder at his name. So belief, incredibly important. But, like, demons believe in Jesus, Right? And you're, you're a little better than demons if you get anything from tonight from church. Okay? So belief is huge. But look, belief wasn't enough for this guy. Belief wasn't enough. And so for many of us, we kind of cross the belief line, which again, incredibly important. Big questions. Do I really trust God? Do I really believe that he's for me, that he's real? You cross that line, you go, okay, I'm in. I got it. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. So now, what a lot of us do at this point is we say, okay, Jesus, I want you to come do life with me. I want you to do life with me. I want to bring you into my world, right? Because the phrase, if you grew up around the church, is you invite Jesus, what? Into your heart, right? So it's like big, 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 big God, tiny little heart. Like, okay, you come into my heart, and I'm going to kind of fit you into my world. Huge step, a very big deal. And so that changes some things. It changes the way that you sort of schedule your week, because now you go to church, right? It's like, I got to do that now. Okay, I'll do that. So that changes like what you read. It's like, I guess I got to read the Bible now. Okay, so I'll start reading the Bible. I'm going to bring God with me into my world, into my time, into my life. And so then you have like, end up serving around here and you get involved in a church. Like, all right, that's cool. I want to help with the kids, give back a little bit. I get that. I'm all for that, right? I want to bring God with me into sort of like the, my abilities, my efforts, my gifts, whatever you call it, right? A huge step, a very big step. Moving from belief to inviting Jesus into your life to do life with you is a huge step. But that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said was, you follow me. Now, I have come to be with you, but I'm inviting you to be with me. Those of us who grew up around church and that whole thing, like we think we're the ones who invite God into our heart. He already offered the invitation. He offered you the invitation. You, you can follow me. You can follow me. You do life with me. And this was a huge, huge, huge step for me to figure out in my own life. Because for me, I, I thought like, I grew up around the church, I grew up in the church. I mean, I'll be honest, I pretty much literally grew up in a church. I slept in pews, I bathed in the baptismal, I lived on bread and, and, and juice. Like, I mean, I was around church a lot. Okay, I was around church a lot. Okay, growing up. And I had the, the belief thing down. I, was, I became a Christian at a young age. And I thank God for that. And I believe the decision I made to believe in Jesus was sincere, very sincere, very true. And it had effect on my life. But what is interesting for me is I had sort of the, the, the faith thing down. 
but not the following thing down. I had the faith thing down, like, okay, I, I believe. I kind of trust that you're out there, and I know that like, I'm going to choose you so that changes things once I'm dead, right? Okay, so we're good there, like, and I'm going to not do these bad things. And I'm kind of, I got the faith thing down. That's a huge step. But you know what's interesting about, about faith is that the point of faith is following. That's the point of faith. It's to say, okay, Jesus, not only do I believe in you, I will follow you. Because it's not only that I believe in you, it's that I believe you. It's not only that I believe in you, I, I believe you. I believe that in you is life to the fullest, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. The point of faith is following. And there are many people who have been Christians a very, very, very long time, and they have got the faith thing down. They can quote more verses to you. They've probably given more money to churches and good causes. They have lived a clean life. There's a lot of things you do that they've never done, right? And there's a lot of things you've never done that they do on a regular basis. These people have the faith thing figured out. You know, you can go your whole life believing in Jesus and still not follow him. Because Jesus says, look, follow me, follow me, follow me. You do life with me. The point of faith is following. But here's the great thing. The point of following, anyone want to take a guess what that is? Is faith. So you may not have the whole Jesus thing figured out. You may not have the whole, all your answers answered, right? But you found yourself going, you know what, I like kind of this, this thing going on here. Maybe it's this church or another church or a group of Christians that you're around, and you found yourself kind of going along with things. You're like, I don't even know if I fully like sign off on the faith thing yet, but like I'm, I'm, I'm a part of a church and I volunteer there and like I greet people and a year ago I never thought like, I thought the church would fall over if I walked in and I say hello to people, right? Because we have people who are involved here at Soul City and the, the faith thing still isn't figured out. But here's the crazy thing. The following thing is actually starting to happen. They're actually starting to follow Jesus. And this is exactly what happened with the disciples. Jesus invited. We don't know exactly when the disciples chose faith in Jesus, but we know exactly when they chose to follow him. In fact, if you read the Gospels, you'll see it seems like it takes them a while to get the faith thing right. But they got the following thing right. And that was a huge turnaround for me. It was when I was a sophomore in college, and I I got to the end of religion. I literally got to the end of it. And I looked out over the edge, and I said, I quit. I quit. I'm, I, some of you have heard this story. I was in the middle of my college campus yelling in the plaza like a crazy person, literally saying to God, I'm out. I quit. No, I'm done. I'm done doing all these good things and not doing all these things that all my friends are doing that look really fun. I'm done. And this is the only thing, and I thank God for this truth. The only thing I knew to call out and to cry out was, But if you, Jesus, have something for me, I'm in. See, I'd gone my whole life, I got the faith thing right, but I had yet to really follow Jesus. And I remember calling out to him specifically. Like, I'm like, God, I'm putting you on timeout. I don't even know how this works theologically. God, I'm kind of putting you on timeout. Religion, I'm done with you. But Jesus, if you have something, I'll trust you. I will follow you. And after years and years and years of faith, I decided to actually follow Jesus. That's a great thing, right? No matter where you start or where you're at in this journey, the point of faith is that it leads to following. And the point of following and kind of checking this thing out and you're a part of this church, guess what our hope is and our prayer is? It will lead to faith. 
And one day you're going to look around going, I guess I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Am I in? I guess this is it. Because I love Jesus and he's the center of my life. So the question for you and I to really wrestle with it, as we wrap up here and we're going to spend some time reflecting on this, the question for us is, what would it look like for you? What does it look like for you right now to follow Jesus? Again, knowing that every one of us is in a different spot. For some of us, it's going to start with faith and lead to following. For some of us, it's going to start with following and lead to faith. The question is, what does it look like for you tonight to really start to actually follow Jesus? That's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. We are going to dive in deep to the life of Jesus. What would that next step of following look like for you? For some of you, it's going to mean that you come back next week. That's like the biggest step you can take. Like, I went to church twice in a row. Like, that's a big deal, like, right? That may be the next step of following is that you stick around one more time. The next step for you may be that you get a Bible. You get a Bible, maybe for the first time in your life, or like one that like, you didn't get when you were five. And you get a Bible that's yours, and you begin to read the story in the life of Jesus as found in the four gospel accounts that we've looked at tonight. You read that for the next couple of weeks. That may be the next step. For some of you, it's going to be, um, you know, like what many of you did last week. Last week, we took a 90-day percentage giving challenge, and I am amazed. I am amazed in tears as we read through and prayed for every single one of you who committed to take that step of following Jesus and trusting God with your resources and giving back to God for the next 90 days. I am amazed. And I encourage you and challenge you to stay with it, right? So for some of you, that's what it is. I, it's, the great thing is this. God is so big and all of us are so different. It's going to be different for every one of us. But here's maybe a question. If you're not sure, I want to just leave you with one last question and then we're going to pray. If you're not sure what that means, what that looks like for you to say, okay, I, I'll follow you, Jesus. I believe that you actually have something that I don't have. I believe that in you, all that I've been waiting for is found. Here's a great question for you to consider. Two questions, really. Where is Jesus going? And will I follow him? And this was so great about these two questions. You might want to write that down. Where is Jesus going? Where is he at? Where's, and not like, where's he going? It's like, no, it's where is he going? Where is he at? I just want to make sure we understand the tense and what we're talking about here. Jesus has left the building, right? Listen to that. Let that sit for a second. You might want to write that down. Where is he going? Or maybe the better point is, where is he asking you to follow him to? And will you do it? Not are you willing to do it? Are you going to think about doing it? Will you do it? Everything we can tell from this account of these fishermen, these tax collectors, these doctors, prostitutes, these people who are on the lowest scale and some of the most religiously elite people in Jesus' day, they didn't go home and make a pro-con list, run it by a couple friends, put it up on Facebook to see, let people vote on whether they should follow Jesus or not, <laughs> right? Jesus says, follow me, and people say, okay. So where is Jesus going? Where is he leading you right now? And my hunch is you probably know, because it's been an internal struggle, it's been the thing you've been resisting for a little while now. It may have to do with some of the stuff we talked about earlier. Where is he going? And the question is, will you follow him? Crazy thing is, point of faith is always following. Point of following is always faith. And any time you take that step towards following Jesus, you begin to see exactly what God has created you and intended you for. The wait is over.
He's already come. And he's invited you to follow him. So I want to take a few minutes now just for us to pray and to just live with that. Are we re- am I really willing? Am I going to follow him even when it's hard, even when it hurts, even when it's going to mess things up, even when control has to be laid down, even when comfort has to be laid down, even when sacrifice and change has to come to my life? Will I follow him? Will I follow Jesus? Because I believe in him is the way and the life and the truth that I've been waiting for. So band's going to come up. We're just going to sit in silence for a minute now. We're going to reflect about what that next step might be. And I just want to say a prayer over us. And then we are going to, um, we're going to receive our tithes and, uh, and our gifts and our back to God. But we're actually going to declare with our words and our lives our intention to follow Jesus tonight. So let me just, let's just sit for a second and think about what that is. What does it mean? What does it look like for you to follow Jesus tonight? To take that next step to say, okay, I will. I will do life with you. With you. Jesus, I thank you that when you invited people to follow you, you didn't start with the superstars. You didn't start with the people who had it all figured out. You didn't start with the people that I would start with. You chose people like me, like us, people who had waited their whole life for purpose and meaning, salvation and hope. And you said, follow me, and at an instant, they dropped everything to follow you. We long for that to be our response to you. And God, I know in this room it looks so different for every one of us, but I pray tonight that you would so instill in us that reality that you have come and that you are here with us tonight, with us tonight, and you are inviting us to be with you, where you are, where you're going, what you're doing, and we want to follow you in everything and with everything. God, may that be true of our church, that we don't play church, but we follow Jesus around here. We don't do religion. We follow Jesus. We don't play the game. We follow Jesus. And we believe that will change our lives, this church, and this city, God. That's our hope and our prayer. In the mighty present name of our Emmanuel. Amen. Hey, what we're going to do right now is we're going to receive our offering as an act of worship to God. It's how we give back to God. It's how we say thanks to God. We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. In case you missed it, you can listen to the podcast. Some really great stuff. But this is just a way for those of us who call this church our home and call God our Father and recognize that the gifts in our life actually come from Him. It's a way for us to give back. And we want to do that as worship, as a way of saying thanks. Not only the songs we sing, but the way that we live and the way that we give. So for the next couple of moments, there's going to be some buckets passed. If you're a guest here with us, Truly, let it slide. Just That's not for you, but maybe God's prompting or stirring something in your heart, and part of you following him tonight is to release some control of that. We think that's a great next step. So we're going to do that as we sing, and Juliet and Ryan lead us in this amazing declaration together.